Welcome to Should I Do This, a podcast where I talk to women about their successful careers and the steps it took to get there. I'm your host, Lily Fox Redstone, and today we're talking to Leila Burr, co-founder, managing partner, and senior producer at Tonic Group in New York City. Each week, I'm going to start off the show by asking my guests a few questions from a random question generator. I wanted you guys to get to know them and have a sense for their personality before we really got into the nitty gritty. Can you name like a score at the end? <laughs> There's no score. Okay. So who are four people, not in your family, you would take on an island with you? Oh my goodness. Four people not in my family I take on an island with me. Um, my friend Dina Day from college because she just seems to always, no matter what, have all the answers to every question. Okay. Um, there'd have to be someone who makes me laugh. Um, it makes me laugh. I mean, my husband makes me laugh all of the time. But I think family member. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, Lily, I'm going to have to give some thought to this. Four people. Okay. That's a tough one. It is tough. All of these are four-based, so you always have to choose four things. Oh, everything's four times based? You should have let me prep for this. Uh, I'm sorry, um, it's, but that's not the point. You have to think fast. But you're like the most outdoorsy. I'm not good at thinking fast. I can't think on my feet. <laughs> That's okay. I Personally. need I need preparation. I need someone who's like a survivalist. I need like yes. someone who will make me laugh. Someone who can cook. <laughs> well, you'd be the right, you'd be the right Yeah, you'd be the athlete that's like foraging and hunting. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. You no, would. I need someone way more skilled and knowledgeable than me. It would be like some Australian. Um, Ooh, you Kim. know who's who's the guy who does who has that show that's like all about surviving and eating bugs and plants and oh like I didn't know this was a channel. show. See, I can't even remember his name, but I would definitely pick him. He'd okay. have to be there. Dina would just keep me calm and keeping healed. Um, and then uh, yeah, it'd be great to have someone who could build a house. These are the types of people. I'm not sure I could I could really come up with total names. Okay, we'll circle back. What four animals <laughs> we are... We may be doing that with all of these. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so what four animals are the most interesting to you? Gosh, um, kangaroos I love because... <gasps> They're awesome. They're so unusual looking, but also they're they're really tough. I mean, they will knock mm-hmm. you silly if you yeah, they're, they're you upset ripped. <laughs> yeah, they're ripped. They'll knock you down. And they can be um, about like six feet tall or something. They're they're they can get up to like eight or twelve feet tall. So and they're incredibly fast. And wow. you know they they have their joeys in a little pouch. Um. Then blowfish, I think, are pretty awesome, just because they are very unusual looking. Mm-hmm. Um, sloths, I'm totally fascinated by, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they really, they're amazing. I mean, they just sort of, they, they really do just crawl along a tree, and I've seen them in person, mm-hmm. and they live up to their name for sure. They're amazing. <laughs> All um, right. And a fourth one, 
um, banana slugs are kind of crazy looking and they up to their name too they literally look like a banana and they're the shape and size of a banana have you ever seen a banana slug i haven't i feel like i've googled it before because they were the mascot for my mom's college Uh uh-huh which is the least athletic mascot you could ever choose i feel like (laughs) there's nothing athletic about it (laughs) but it it was what uc santa cruz or something so they weren't going for anything uh terrifying yeah you see santa cruz that's right um and you see them all over kind of the california coastline and and sort of big bear and places yeah you gotta watch that you don't step on them they really make a mess oh my gosh (laughs) okay last one what are four words to describe your day today um successful all right Freezing, mm-hmm. um, empowering, because I voted, oh, and uh, chill. It's kind of a rainy, chill day inside today. Well, that sounds lovely. Sounds like it's been a really good day so far. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good one. No complaints. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> So, Layla Burr, you work at Tonic. Yep. How would you describe the company? So, Tonic Group is a multidisciplinary design firm. You know, we're, we're a creative consultancy. We do everything from developing brand identities to print communication um, to designing and building web and mobile applications. Mm-hmm. And our clients span uh, independent business owners to small businesses and then fortune 500 companies so we also work across yeah a big range we walk work across industries as well so we're not just focused in one area we do work in the fashion industry and beauty we've done some work in the legal profession and architecture Um, so we do a lot of work right now in healthcare. we've worked Mm -hmm. for big food agricultural businesses so yeah, we, we really run the gamut and we're a small studio. Um, there's five of us full time, but we maintain a network of about 12 permalancers we like to call who are all friends and family <laughs> that have yes. worked with us forever for over the good 20 years that we've been in business. So yeah. it's kind of, it's a nice intimate mix of um, designers, technologists, engineers, and you know, we all collaborate together and have complementary skills. Amazing. That was such a good description. <laughs> and I've, I've done it a few times. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And you were one of the co-founders along with, I'm guessing, Chris? Yep. So I was one of four co-founders of Tonic okay. Group. We started, we formed the company back in 1999. Mm-hmm. And... Chris, my brother, is one of the co-founders. He specializes mostly in, he came from a print and identity uh, design background. Max, who's a close friend of ours, came from an interactive design background. And then Nico, who is another friend who we grew up with, he was one of our co-founders at the time too. And he kind of straddled 
design and technology. So he had the most technical experience and was really getting into building and websites at the time. In 99, that was not a common interest, I'm guessing. No, no. I mean, what was exciting when we started the company and, and the th- Nico and Chris had had a company prior to us forming Tonic Group called 47 Jane. Mm-hmm. And um, they were really with, with another friend who was a partner of that business. And they were doing some really interesting pioneering work. Yeah. Um, and that was what was so exciting to me. And I kind of wanted to join that effort. And I felt that I could contribute by helping grow the business side and be the yeah. business face of the company. So between that business zone and starting Tonic Group, they disbanded and mm-hmm. everybody kind of went their separate ways. Dave, who was their partner at the time, he went back to school to get another degree. He has like three master's degrees in computer <laughs> <All right>. engineering. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we, we sort of were all doing our own thing. And then uh, there was still a lot of interest in work inquiries coming in. And so, you know, I kind of, with Chris, suggested that we harness all of this new business that was just out there and floating around and form mm-hmm. a new business entity and, and run with it. Amazing. So that's what we did at the end of 99. That's pretty incredible. So some of those clients, you think, transferred over and then kept growing from that old business? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of activity still and a lot of interest mm-hmm. and a lot of leads. And, you know, for about a year and a half, there was no one sort of satisfying those. Um, Nico and Chris were doing it in kind of an ad hoc fashion, but mm-hmm. nothing really formalized around that work. And so it seemed like a missed opportunity. Yeah, very cool. And did you say you approached it from kind of the business side and said, I think we should take advantage of this clientele and then? Yeah, I just saw kind of money on the table <laughs> being left on the table. And I was like, there, there's work to do here. And, and I think, you know, um, the guys I felt were really talented and I thought mm-hmm. it was sort of an easy sell for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt they really were very skilled and, and doing work that was better than most and at a higher caliber mm-hmm. than most. And so, you know, I thought there was some something really exciting there and a, a, a solid foundation to build on. Definitely. And so I mentioned, since that's a pretty early start with web design and probably where the internet was versus usage now, I'm sure your company has seen many iterations kind of of what you do and how you execute projects and what people are asking for. Do you think there's a specific way or maybe a specific moment when the company developed into something different than you imagined or had planned? I mean, being in involved with technology at all, which is, which is a large component of what we do, is just constantly mm-hmm. evolving. Yeah. Um, so we're constantly learning new ways to produce the products um, that we make for our clients. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant um, learning process. I mean, the learning curve kind of never stops. So I find that super exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, you, you, you constantly have to keep pace. And yes. And if, if you stop doing that, then you very rapidly can fall behind because things just move at lightning speed. What's also so interesting is, given the fact that we've been doing this for 20 years, 
we've sort of seen the web in its infancy sort of develop and mature over time and have been sort of intimately a part of every phase of that. Um, Absolutely. Which, you know, is fascinating because we have a lot of insight and in kind of how things used to be and we see trends that you see kind of repeat themselves and whether mm -hmm. that's kind of new technologies uh, trying to break into new markets or clients trying to break into new markets where maybe, um, you know, the target customer just isn't comfortable or ready for that yet. You know, we've sort of seen that happen at different stages. Um, and so that's, that's really interesting. But, you know, the common thread through all of that is that we really focus on projects and clients where there's a strong design and form, uh, emphasis and a strong design component to the project that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, d design is design. It's always, it's always needed. It's always um, custom. That's not readily going to be replaced by something automated. You'll need the creative thinking. And, and so, you know, we're always bringing that to project, to each project. It's then mm -hmm. how we're building that out or delivering that, um, that changes all the time. Very cool. Yeah. Would you say there's like a favorite part of your job and the least favorite? <laughs> I can say what the least favorite is for sure. Okay. It's helpful to know, <laughs> you know? It's managing any scheduling or work priorities with my partners or, or colleagues, <laughs> particularly my brother. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be my least favorite part of it. Um, but my favorite part is, you know, what's been so enriching to me about it is being in business with people who you really trust and like and care about. And so, you know, your, your successes and your accomplishments are that much greater and better. Um, and your failures are that much harder and your difficult times are that much harder. But to know at the end of the day that you have each other's back, um, which is really challenging to, um, to really arrive at with, with partners. I mean, partnerships are one of the hardest things to manage and to, to sort of have last and endure. Um, and so we have a good mix where, you know, we, we fully trust each other. So that's a really enjoyable part. The, the other thing that I just love is I never feel like, I, I haven't felt like I've worked a day in my life. Oh, and, wow. You know, the thing that's, that sort of satisfies that is every day is completely different. Every challenge is new. I'm constantly learning new things. And part of that is because we're in an industry that just never stops reinventing itself. But the other part of that is, is we're introduced to new clients and new industries all the time. And I really love the part of kind of diving into what those clients do, what their problems are, what the market is that they operate in, and doing all of that background research and kind of studying up on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, challenging ourselves to produce the best product that we can. So I find that just immensely enjoyable. Yeah, it seems like that would be a very satisfying goal for someone social and someone who likes change because it seems like you don't feel like it's a, a stagnant schedule. Yeah, there's, there's no monotony to it. You know, yeah. the, the, the overall framework of, of 
my role is the same, but it's filled with different things every day. That's very cool. I think a lot of people are looking for things like that, but don't quite have the vocabulary for what field that's in. Because of course there are roles like that across different fields, but to know that web design or the business side of things can be not just numbers and managerial, but more social and more creative is really interesting to know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, anything, and, and that was something that excited me about just being in a small business space too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was much more attracted to going into a small business environment than working for a large corporation. And precisely for that reason, that things um, are more agile, they move faster, yeah. um, you know, and, and you have to, you have to learn on your feet. You have to, you have to learn fast. You have to kind of, um, you know, get smart fast often. And that's interesting, more interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get to have those close relationships, even if your business partner isn't your brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, I'm sure. Um, okay. And then you mentioned... People consider me a, 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 a super laid-back person, except uh -huh. I doubt my, my business partners and husbands would say the same. <laughs> I, I totally think of you as a laid back person, but I could see, I could see the business on time scheduling part of you coming out. Yeah. Everyone needs that. Um, you mentioned school a little bit, that a friend went back to school, but I know you had a pretty unique journey with school growing up with your parents going back to Australia at some point. And mm -hmm. do you feel like you had kind of a bumpy education or like you really enjoyed school? How did you kind of feel about the whole process of where you got? Oh, I loved, I loved my schooling. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just, I mean, I, I always loved school in general because I loved learning and I loved the process of it. Um, yeah. I've always been very academic. Um, but yeah, I, I started off at a small private school in New York City um, and was there from kindergarten till seventh grade. Yeah. When I reached seventh grade, my parents decided to move back to Australia. They're originally from there. And so we packed up and at that time, I was kind of excited. I was ready for a change. Um, mm -hmm. My school had, I had 40 in my class, in my grade. And wow. so, you know, it, it, I was sort of sick of hanging out with the same kids. <laughs> of course. For, you know, the past 12 years. Yeah. I was sort of ready to change things up a little bit. And moving to Australia sounded exotic, you know. Interesting yeah. animals, like the kangaroo. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and, and then also there was this novelty of going to a school that required a uniform. All the schools in Australia, you wear a uniform. Yeah. Um, but what that really opened my eyes to was one, a, a larger, I did go to another private school, mm -hmm. um, but a larger school, it also introduced me to athletics, um, mm -hmm. which became a really integral part of my um, years from that point on, 
and and also to the outdoors. It introduced me to the wilderness for the first time, which was extremely informative um, mm-hmm. for me. And, you know, kind of a different way of life. Um, you know, while Australia is a very, is very American um, to an extent, you know, culturally it's, it's still quite different. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that was exciting for me too. So yeah, overall, and, and in Australia too, they also, the school that I went to had, um, you know, things that my school didn't, uh, like middle school leaders and, um, athletics was a huge part of the culture of the school, but also the entire private school network in Melbourne where I lived. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of those things just offered really rich experiences and then meeting my family there, my extended family, all, all my cousins and, aunts and uncles who I never spent any time with my whole life. So that must have been an interesting change in dynamics. Yeah, it was. Um, But ultimately uh, we were going to, my parents knew that I wanted to end up in college in the the States again. So Mm -hmm. I finished out my 10th grade in Australia, which their school year goes from January to December. So I chose to stay all the way through the end of 10th grade, which meant that I moved back to New York halfway through my junior year. So I kind of missed, you know, academically the curriculums were so misaligned that that was challenging. You know, Mm -hmm. there was, I I just, the curriculum was so different in Australia that I had to play catch up. Um, not only because I jumped in halfway through junior year when I came back to New York, but also to catch up on requirements and curriculum from throughout all of high school. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that, that was a rough road. And I, I definitely didn't have any friends when I came back for six months <laughs> and spent uh-huh. all of my time studying like mad. Um, but it, it all worked out in the end. And Absolutely. Yeah. And junior year is kind of the middle or the beginning of the college process, right? Mm-hmm. So it was also probably a very stressful time to figure out all those requirements on top of figuring out your schoolwork. Yeah, it was, but I, I guess, um, you know, as they say, ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of didn't really know anything about the process, and I didn't have parents who were kind of super dialed into it. So I think <laughs> I literally got off the plane. And my school was like, okay, you're going to sit the PSAT. And I'm like, what's that? (laughs) And, you know, I took it and um, did not do as well as I would have liked. And so that, that started a whole process of kind of then getting into, all right, what are the requirements? And I have to take the SAT and line things up. Um, But the huge advantage that I had is that I was, I was running and, So I was a competitive athlete and I started running in Australia, which was another benefit of being out there, um, is that I was able to nurture that interest and talent and, and, um, you know, sort of progressed very rapidly in Australia, um, Mm -hmm. where the caliber of runners at the age from 13 to 17 is, is extremely high and was at that time relative to the rest of the entire world. 
so that sort of launched me into this really good position uh, when I returned to the States of having kind of that, that training and that success under my belt. So, um, you know, I was, I was kind of operating in two parallel paths of, of really trying to get my academics, um, you know, as high as I could and, and trying to succeed and running to and get noticed that way because the whole recruiting process to college was an entirely new thing and, and an experience yeah. trying to figure out. And did you have kind of teachers help you facilitate that or coaches in your high school? Or did you do some of that research on your own? So I was incredibly fortunate to fall in the hands of Tracy Sunlin, who was, um, he headed up an organization in New York City called the Metropolitan Athletics Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and put on all of the youth track events in the city and through talking to people and kind of trying to find a coach what I learned is that none of the college coaches could speak to me and they couldn't coach me and none of the high school coaches in New York City knew anything about running or track and field yeah Um, you know I mean my my school didn't even have a track team oh wow it was a, a one-person team. You were on your own. Yeah, and, and they had no idea, you know, and, and sports wasn't huge either. Um, you know, sort of um, volleyball and basketball and soccer, they were maybe competitive at, but didn't really mm-hmm. have a sporting program. Um, but Tracy was extremely, he ran also an adult running club. Um, so he invited me up there to train with them. So twice a week, I would meet with this running club that was filled with adults and I would train <laughs> with adults <laughs> and mostly marathon runners. And I was a half miler and a miler. Um, yeah. but they That's kind incredible. of took me under their wing and I was like this, you know, little 17 year old that they loved and supported and uh Tracy sort of shepherded me through the entire college recruitment process um he had previously also been a coach at USC and just was nationally networked amazing so um but you know he was also someone who placed a strong emphasis on academics as well so that was always a part of the conversation um, yeah yeah, it's pretty so, incredible. Yeah, he was amazing. Very cool. And actually, this is just kind of a random question. Your parents didn't move back at the same time as you, right? Were you? So my dad moved back uh, from Australia um, about six months to a year before my mom and I did. Um, okay. And that's because Chris, my brother, didn't stay the whole four years out in Australia. He moved back to New York in advance of all of us returning. Yep, I and remember that story. Yeah. <laughs> Dad came back to make sure that he actually got into college, too. So <laughs> He's the one who needed supervision, not you. <laughs> yeah. Very so funny. he came back and, and helped him get through that process. Um, and then my mom and I followed. And my mom also had a, a really great job in Australia that she, you know, was, was all too happy to kind of... Um, have me sort of reached a, a point of closure ending out my 10th grade year, you know, that gave mm-hmm. her time to kind of close out her job there too. That's nice. 
do you feel like what you ended up studying in college was relevant to your work today or do you feel like it was kind of farther off of what you expected to be doing? Yeah, not, you know, um, it's interesting when I look back in hindsight, I, I see sort of majors that would um, fit more neatly with what I've ended up doing uh-huh. um, and that maybe I would have been more excited about. Um, but, you know, I was also a, a different person then. I had different interests and I, I absolutely loved uh, English literature. And I had an amazing English teacher in high school whose mm-hmm. husband was a leading Shakespearean scholar and mm-hmm. was a professor at Columbia University. And so she ran, you know, a very rigorous um, class my senior year that that really she liked to run like a college level class yeah and I just I just loved it and I loved sort of you know analyzing texts and dissecting them and writing about them and when I got to college I really wasn't sure what to do and um you know all the advisors there were telling me well do what you're passionate about (laughs) I was like well I'm, I'm passionate about English. Fine, I'll be an English lit major. Yeah. And then um, they started offering uh, that you could you could couple that with a minor. So you could either double major or you could do a minor. And I was mm-hmm. taking a ton of art history classes as well. So mm-hmm. having come from a family of artists, but unfortunately inheriting zero artistic capability myself, <laughs> yeah. I... Uh, I thought, well, you know, I still have an appreciation and an eye for art and design. And mm-hmm. I wanted to dig into that a little deeper. And so I started taking a lot of art history classes um, and ended up minoring in art history. So I majored in English and minored in art history. Um, my brother used to joke when people would ask him, you know, mm-hmm. what can your sister do when I graduate from college? He's like, she can write a really mean book report. <laughs> Hey, that's a valuable skill. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, certainly the writing skills helped. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, not sort of a typical trajectory, I would say, from what I studied to going into, you know, forming my own business and in, mm-hmm. in consulting and design and technology. Yeah. I think it seems to, like, it might not be the most straightforward path, but it is logical. Like you said, it comes from the same love of art and design and also writing and communication. All of that is part of English and art history. And I had kind of a similar thing where I was completely lost at the beginning of college, went in with pre-med and chemistry as my main focuses, and was just miserable, crying all the time. My parents did not want to hear it anymore. (laughs) And everyone kept telling you do what you love and what you feel good at. And I thought that was science. And then that year I realized that is not science for me. I was loving my creative writing classes and loving English classes, even traditional literature, analyzing Shakespeare and Beowulf and et cetera. But, and I realized I'd much rather be spending my time writing in-depth papers about that and weird scholarship on niche parts of the medieval literature scale than doing a chemistry lab and it's hard to come to terms with that sometimes if you've planned a different trajectory but you honestly feel like you're better at and or more passionate about something else 
Right. Yeah, it is. It's it's interesting though because I think that um, you know one of the things that is surprising is that actually very few people, at least the college I went to, university I went to, very few people end up in careers that are affiliated with the majors that they had. Yeah, um, I think people still feel that way today. Yeah, I think it's quite common and actually, um, you know, there, there's something sort of liberating about that too. And, you know, impressing that upon freshmen and students who, begin um school is is just sort of you know exploring different interests and having that be a foundation then that you build upon later but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be aligned with a career i guess yeah. i guess medicine is a little different or or <laughs> going medicine on where you have to get some prerequisites out of the way is a little tough but yeah in the humanities there's a little room for play yeah. And you know, even people who go the pre-med track or end up as something a little different, they be an RN or be a physician's assistant, go on a different track after college. I think it's hard to impress upon people that you don't need to start planning the rest of your life as soon as you get into college, that you still have time to go back, time to go forward, time to keep studying and change things until whenever you want, truly, mm -hmm. you know? And you could decide to start a business or jump in on a venture that somebody you know has started. And those aren't kind of things that you can plan out, which is sometimes hard to come to terms with because I like planning. <laughs> I think most people do, but. Yeah, you have to believe in a little serendipity too and, and embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. I guess also this is mostly, I want to share the stories of successful women because I feel like as women, we kind of get more of the pressure of planning, whether that be for planning a family as well as a career or managing care of your parents and a career or care of whatever. I feel like we kind of get these extra tasks thrown in and mm -hmm. I think it, affects people at a younger age than we realize. And I definitely recognized myself putting some pressure on making sure I was doing the right steps in each direction for all of the things I wanted in my life. Do you think there was like a, a kind of path that you made or even a plan or if it factored in at all you having a family between family and career kind of? I mean, I was kind of hopeless at that. <laughs> <laughs> So I was very much sort of um, thinking selfishly about, about building my business and building my own, establishing myself. Mm -hmm. And it was only until my husband sort of, you know, um, alerted me one day to the fact that I was getting older and, you know, I was sort of ending or getting close to the end of child rearing age that uh, he's like, okay, there are some things we need to plan and think about here. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right, <laughs> we do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I think, you know, the, the scary part about, and, and having children was always something that I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that 
the scary part is we think that we're always going to have things buttoned up and all you know neatly organized and be exactly where we want to be in our career when the time comes to have children or when we're ready and i think what i've sort of discovered and and even with friends is there's no good time you know there's no there's no right or wrong time um you know the the right time is when you know you want to have children but relative to everything else you know you just need to act upon that readiness to have kids and everything else sort of falls in place around it um but it's it's kind of amplified when you're running your own business too and when you're a small business you can't just sort of remove yourself from that equation for eight weeks and take maternity leave, mm-hmm. um, you know, because every person in a small business is instrumental to the overall operating um, success of the business. And so, you know, you're, I, I was on the computer in uh, the recovery room the day later working on projects and wow you know, deadlines or things that had to be handled that I didn't have time to pass pass off to someone else before I went into labor. So I stopped working the Friday before I went into labor. I went into labor the next night. Um, wow. So, you know, the, all the loose ends that needed to be tied weren't neatly tied. Everything was sort of um, still needed my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that kind of... Uh, persisted all the way through and and all the way through having my second child too mm-hmm. um and you know does today when you're now when I'm now at an age where my parents need assistance mm-hmm. you know so it's uh you know trying to carve out that time and and just you know it all comes down to time management and just sort of organizing things but Absolutely. yeah it's, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge you're queen of time management. <laughs> the audience won't know this yet. You are. Tell Matthew that. I'll tell him that. <laughs> From an outside perspective, you are just the type of person that seems like they have a full schedule at all times, but are getting everything done and are positive about it. You just have an incredible air of accomplishment and confidence in your abilities and your love for other people. And I admire it so much. We gotta have this um, Zoom meeting weekly. <laughs> <laughs> pep rally. Yeah, pep rally. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Coaching sessions. I, I have to say, I get a lot of that from my husband. Uh, you know, he's sort of he's he's inspiring in that way, and and truly sort of drives me to be and do better. And he's he's the ultimate with time management, for the, well, for the most part, I would say. <laughs> for the, <laughs> For the things that really matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's what um, a good relationship should do. Make you feel like more yourself than the better version of yourself, right? So. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's, uh, it's so cliche to say, but <laughs> it does, it does uh, make me want to be a better person. Um, but, you know, I think also I've, I've been very fortunate, too, to have a partner or some, and someone who I'm married to who equally shares in all of those additional responsibilities. Yes. Um, so, you know, he has been, um, has equally participated in raising our children and being there for them 
in helping out with caring for aging parents. So, you know, I feel like I have a teammate and a partner to really share that stress, the emotion, um, and the mental toll of it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel really lucky in that respect. Of course, that's incredible. Something key to think about when you (laughs) (laughs) choose a partner on the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with yes definitely I mean that's it bleeds into every part even your career so it's good to know and good to think about one of the major things is I wanted to ask people about bumps in the road or times that they looked at their career and either thought I want to change this or I find this frustrating or I need to switch things up do you feel like you've had like a a bump in the road and how would you deal with it yeah I mean I think I think we all have bumps in the road it's it's uh, that's life right um Yeah. yeah this is interesting I was thinking about it because um you know, I, I think the fact that I was a competitive athlete for such a long period of time really sort of uh, defined how I approach things or and, and made me conditioned to sort of um, look at things through the lens of training for an event, right? So with running, mm-hmm. it's a pretty straightforward equation. What you put in, you typically get out. And so if what you put in is not good enough, the end result's not going to be good enough. And so I often look at life through that lens too, or, or problems that I encounter of, well, where did it go wrong? Or, it, you know, where could I have done better? Or where was I missing on the input side that the output's just not where I want it to be? Um, yep. You know, and, and and I think that's also... I'm a personality who doesn't like to lose. And so, you know, I'm always looking at something and I'm like, okay, it's a bump in the road. How can I beat this? How can I win it? How can I um, turn it around and make it better? And, you know, I, um, for that reason, I kind of, um, yeah, I'm I'm just, I, I persevere. I kind of keep pushing forward and, you know, my dad used to always say to me, and I, I remember this, but he instilled in me when I was little, he said, there's no problem you can't solve. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are so many different ways that you can look at um, a setback or a problem, and there there's always going to be a solution. And yeah. I'm a big believer in that, you know, and I think that oftentimes it's just sort of the will and determination to actually execute on options that you have is, mm-hmm. is the hardest part. Um, so yeah, I don't, I'm sort of a rambling answer, but, um, no, but that's, that's a I great like to, yeah, I like to kind of break it down into its parts and yeah. sort of see, you know, where you can smooth the path forward and how you can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly running a business, you know, for 20 years, a small business, you often have a lifeline in that business that's maybe three months long, always, mm-hmm. every year, all the time. You know, it's just a shifting three months um, of cash flow or 
four months of cash flow. Um, you know, and that's just sort of the nature of it. And, you know, sometimes you're flooded worth work and sometimes it just sort of dries up and mm-hmm. you, you really just have to believe and have confidence in the fact that it's going to turn around and, and that you just need to put a little bit more into it and keep pushing forward and keep putting a little bit more into it and nurturing its growth. And then it's going to pay back at some point. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, we all, we all hit bumps in the road. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a great way to look at it though, is from not, not in a way that it's an obstruction to the rest of your life or the rest of your career, but as something to solve a puzzle or like a, a race to finish. And I definitely have some of that competitive spirit that has been also instilled in me by my father <laughs> as we know at the at the family olympics that our listeners don't know about um yeah, yeah i well, think that's a great way to look at it as well you know i it mean it's, it's uh you know and i think that that's one of the benefits of of kids being engaged in in sports or in competition is is it mm-hmm. does it does breed a certain resilience and um Absolutely. you know there there's uh yeah, like I said, you kind of look at it through that lens of, of okay, well, it's it's I, it's not good enough what's gone into it, and that's why we have problems or not the outcome that we want, and so how do we make it better? Yeah, um, how to adjust on your end instead of looking at it as a problem with others yeah. is always probably a more helpful way as well. Yep. Is there any advice for the women listening or the girls listening or anyone listening um, that you wish someone had told you or warned you about kind of going into your career? Um, and it doesn't have to be like a catchy one line. No, I mean, I think one thing that I regret a little bit um, is, you know, I, I wish that I... Uh, and I kind of look back and I don't really know um, sort of how I ended up in this place. But when I, when I was choosing a major, when I was uh, in school, mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt like I wish I'd sort of expanded my view a little bit more of potentially a career or what I might like to do after school, mm-hmm. not just being focused in what am I going to study in school, but thought more broadly in terms yeah. of, um, you know, when, when I think or envision a life that I want to have, what are kind of the key components? Um, mm-hmm. And there's, there's this really interesting course that they established at Stanford after I left, which unfortunately wasn't offered when I was there, but it's called Designing Your Life. And mm-hmm. it's one of the most popular and the hardest classes to get into and the professors wrote a book, so you can go read the book. Um, I will. It's really, really helpful because, you know, it sort of um, it sort of opens up uh, the idea of 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 life not being uh, necessarily tied to one career path and building upon a career 
um, you know, and reaching the next level and then the level above and the level above that, but sort of a, a wealth of experiences that you can mm -hmm. enjoy and have and sort of, um, you know, focused periods of time where you're able to accomplish specific goals. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really liberating a concept, you know, this idea of constant reinvention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, it, and it's not for everybody, but, um, you know, I wish that sort of, I felt that my view when I was a freshman was a little too myopic. And I wish that it was much broader in terms of, you know, when, when I have a job, do I want to work nine to five? Yes. You know, do I want to, um, you know, Matthew asked this of himself when he was deciding on a specialty. Do I want to be pulled away as a doctor from a Thanksgiving dinner because I'm getting paged, you know, yeah. or calling in? And sort of questions like that, that sort of align more with your lifestyle and preferences that perhaps are a little bit more of an indicator of overall happiness. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's, in terms of advice is to sort of think about the things that make you happy um, and the things that, you know, envision crafting a lifestyle that would make you happy and lead to happiness and then kind of backfill from there, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, what kind of jobs could sort of fit into this picture that I have of a happy life? Um, where geographically is that picture of a happy, happy life? Um, and then thinking about, you know, majors then or areas of study or interests that complement that or, you know, maybe are stepping stones towards that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I think, I think when I was in school, there was too much of, there was really a decoupling of what you did in school from then the bigger picture in life. And yeah. Um, I, d I kind of didn't have that a mentor in that way or yeah. any sort of outside advisement in that way. Um, so, I yeah. Yeah, I think there still often is kind of that gap, especially from high school, because you're doing so many subjects at one time and you're so invested in different areas that kind of it's just becomes like a, a grind that sometimes you're not stepping back from and assessing what really makes you happy or what really makes you interested? Like what classes yeah. you're excited to go to and how that could change and how that could be helpful for the future. I really yeah. like the way of stepping back and looking at how happy that makes you and then kind of filling in from there. It's, yeah, it's and I, I've kind of become a big proponent of a gap year, um, which actually Australians do a ton of, and I think you did very well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, is, uh, you know, taking that time to sort of step back and reflect a little bit mm -hmm. um, and maybe being able to have some experiences that then inform the direction you want to go in, but also, you know, potentially make that four years that you spend in college a little bit more focused and valuable um, yeah. towards, you know, helping plant the seeds for what that future growth will be. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of ways to go about it. 
definitely. I'm such a fan of a gap year. I try to tell every cousin, every family member, every family friend that gap years are so wildly helpful if they are financially realistic for you. Because mm-hmm. I think it gives you really a space. And in my gap year, I don't think I found, I certainly didn't change my path from pre-med. And I still thought that was going to be it. That was my kind of fun year. And then I got to go back to school and kind of grind it out for another eight years in school. Um, But then when I got there, I realized I miss spending time outdoors all this time where I was traveling, meeting new people, surfing, getting better at being by myself, even though that sounds a little weird. I think college is the first time a lot of kids are by themselves. I kind of learned as a super extroverted person, how to be alone. And that was so valuable, not something I think I would have learned as well in college if I was just thrown into another school environment. Um, But yeah, I definitely have valued that opportunity to take that year to myself so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I kind of wish I had done that too. Um, But it, it wasn't an option for me, so. Yeah. And now you have kids who you can make do it. <laughs> and I'll probably be the mom who's like, nope, you're not doing gap year. You're going straight to college and then you're going to graduate school. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just said you will have this recording of you approving it of it. So right, right, right. Yeah. No, but they they will have to follow some kind of structure like you had of of work, you know, of course. give back in some way and travel. Yeah. Yeah. If they can. Yeah. You just have to work out the, the terms. Right. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for letting me interview you. I've always admired your career and admired your overall life outlook. So I feel like it's oh, such a gift to get to chat. Well, thank you. Since it's the end of the episode, it's time to ask, should I do this? Personally, I think Layla's career lines up with my education and my interests pretty well. I could totally see myself working in the field of branding or at a creative studio in the future. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and are one step closer to answering the question, should I do this? Special thanks to Gabriel Summer for our music. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please message our Instagram, S-I-D-T podcast, or visit our website, shouldidothispod.wordpress.com. Also hit subscribe and you can be alerted when our new episodes drop. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.